Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And, and it doesn't have to be an all or nothing effort, right? And, and that, that takes that pressure off of people who are like, oh, I'll never be vegan. I can't be vegan. I'm like, you don't have to be vegan. Studies have shown that even just cutting meat by 50%, right? Just having the, uh, the, the amount of meat that people are eating can reduce greenhouse gases um, by up to 40%. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 153. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Happy Sunday, veggie lovers. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. I have a really great episode for you today from Mary Purdy, who is an eco-dietitian. Have you ever heard of an eco-dietitian? Well, I had not heard of one until I found her on Instagram. I couldn't remember how we met, but she reminded me, and it's such a good story. We met over the love of beans. Isn't that perfect? So we definitely talk about beans in this episode. But before I tell you more about Mary and why you're going to love her, I want to give a shout out to DaddyGang216, who left me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts entitled, I Love Dr. Yami. DaddyGang says, I recently discovered this podcast while I was trying to find a new plant-based podcast to listen to. So happy I 
did. Dr. Yami is amazing. She has such a calm voice and I love all of her interviews she has with different experts in the field of plant-based medicine. I immediately followed her on Instagram too. Highly recommend. Well, thank you so much, Daddy Gang. I appreciate that feedback and I am so glad that you are enjoying my episodes. You know, for all of you out there, if you have recommendations about what you want to hear on the podcast or what you want to see on my social media, reach out to me. Go to my website, dryami.com. There's a little form you can fill out there, or you can email me, yami at dryami.com. That's spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. I frequently do accommodate your requests. So sometimes it's a little bit more difficult than others, but we try our best. We at least put it on a list so that we can consider it when we are planning these episodes and all of the things that we are going to do. So thank you, thank you, thank you for taking your time to leave feedback. I appreciate that so much. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. So if you have concerns, about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, consult a healthcare professional. Okay, so you're going to love Mary. She is so vibrant and full of energy and funny. And we had such a fun time recording this episode. You know what's super cool is she doesn't live far from me, just a few hours, two and a half hours away from where I live. So I'm hoping that someday we will be able to meet I. RL in real life. Wouldn't that be awesome? So Mary Purdy, MSRDN, is an integrative eco-dietitian with a master's degree from Bastyr University, where she is currently adjunct faculty. She has been in clinical practice for over 12 years using a personalized medicine and functional nutrition approach. She has given over 100 nutrition workshops and webinars, speaks regularly at nutrition conferences, and was the keynote speaker at Bastyr University's commencement ceremony in 2019. Additionally, she hosts the podcast, The Nutrition Show, has authored the books Serving the Broccoli Gods and The Microbiome Diet Reset, and is a consultant around creating a sustainable and resilient food system that supports our environment and helps to mitigate climate change. Her website is marypurdy.co, so it's M-A-R-Y-P-U-R-D-Y dot C. Oh, definitely check her out. She is so fun. She has her own podcast and she has decided to do a giveaway of her book, The Microbiome Diet Reset. So please, if you follow me on Instagram, social media, that is where I'm going to be announcing it this week now that this episode is out. So please follow me on Instagram at the Dr. Yami. In this episode, we talk about what the heck is an eco-dietitian and why is she one? <laughs> How what we eat impacts the environment. What are what are the big players in environmental sustainability when it comes to food that are clearly not sustainable? when it comes to our the planetary health and what are the foods that are more sustainable? What can we do to move towards a more environmental, sustainable uh, relationship with our food and our planet as consumers? And I asked the question, do you have to be vegan to do, our, to do your part? Does everybody have to be vegan? I'm not sure if you guys like it when I ask that question or not, but I feel like a lot of you are probably vegan, are probably fully plant-based, but there's some of you that aren't. 
and that may not be part of your goal. So I want to know from experts like this what they think too. What are the things we can do to decrease waste in our kitchens? And for those of you that are just at the beginning of your journey, what can you do to get started? So she has lots of great things to share. We have a lot in common and we have lots of fun, like I said. So you're going to love this episode. So please help me welcome Mary Purdy, eco-dietitian, to round out our mini-series for environmental sustainability for 2021. Mary Purdy, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Why, thank you, Dr. Yami. It's lovely to be here. Well, I'm so excited about this because I have never heard of an eco-dietitian until <laughs> I saw your name. And I'm not even sure how I found you, maybe through Clubhouse, because I've been finding everybody through Clubhouse recently. Are you on Clubhouse? Yeah, I'm not on Clubhouse, but I remember how we found each other. And I love the story because we both commented on an Instagram post that was about beans, about yes! the passion we both had for beans. And you were like, oh, I feel the same way. And we were like, soul sisters, okay, let's talk, let's connect. I love we, that. Uh, we bonded over beans. This is the best. Bond. I'm so glad you remembered yes. that because I totally I forgot. So anyway, I was intrigued by uh -huh. your bio and then your description because I had never heard of an eco-dietitian. So can you tell us what that is and why, why do you describe yourself as that? Why is that something that you value? Absolutely. So this is a term that I just basically attached to my name, right? So for me, as a dietitian working in the clinical realm for over a dozen years, uh, my tendency is to think that we can no longer separate environmental health from human health, right? Mm. So the way that our food is grown and the way that that affects the environment is going to have an impact on the quality of our food and our health. And the way that we are eating, the way that we are producing food is having an impact already on the environment. And yes. climate change is going to have an impact on our food access. So as an eco-dietitian, I am always taking into consideration the ecological impacts of our food system and the impact of our food system or on our food system from the environment. So looking at those and how it relates to human health. I love that. And when did you start having these revelations? How long ago was it that you started thinking like this? I have always been very interested and intrigued by sustainability and sustainability issues, been very mindful about recycling and composting and being mindful about my own food print and footprint, carbon footprint. But really, it was just a few years ago when we started understanding that our environment is in dire straits. And with uh, the climate change and the extreme weather patterns that we're seeing, this is directly impacted by food and mm -hmm. our food system and our agricultural system. And so I thought, wow, this is an incredible way for me to take the skill set that I have and the passion that I have and to use it towards trying to change the system, trying to educate others that every little bit that we can participate, every way that we can participate in our food, our food culture, our food system can actually have an impact on the environment and may ultimately help us to survive as a species, which I uh, yes. was very happy about. A win-win, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so since you have been thinking this way and integrating this into your career, do you feel like your clients or who you work with has been receptive? Has it made you more hopeful for the future or is it discouraging? It's a good question. I, I, I probably vacillate between feeling hopeful and feeling discouraged on a regular basis. And 
for me, it's less about my actual clients than it is about the system at large. Um, mm-hmm. And that includes the agricultural sector, um, how we're growing our food and the agribusinesses that are playing a huge role in how we are producing our food in a way that is not eco-friendly. And so my goal has been to educate large groups, to educate my students. Yes, I'm talking about it with patients as well, but it's a little bit of a different context. And I'm also trying to educate other health practitioners and dietitians who all have a tremendous role to play and a huge impact in terms of how we interact with our patients, interact with our communities, interact with our our healthcare settings in terms of making our footprint much, much smaller, whether that relates to food or other areas of sustainability around how we run businesses. So it's a a mixture of hope and and, uh, extreme concern. Well, thank you for your transparency on that because I think anytime that we're so passionate about something, that's the possibility, right? That we can feel good about what we're doing. We can feel like we're making a difference, but sometimes it feels like just a drop in the bucket, right? Some, some days it feels like, oh, it's just so much, it's so big. But you brought up education and I think that's so important mm-hmm. because if we don't have the knowledge, if we don't have the awareness, then we can't make changes. So that leads me into the next question is a very broad question, Uh but how does what we eat impact the environment? Yes, this is a question and I have an answer that I think people just don't think about, right? So when you sit down to eat a meal at your dinner table, we often don't think about the fact that there's a whole series of events that took place for that food to get onto your plate. Uh, That food had to be planted, that food had to be uh, grown and harvested by somebody, it had to be transported to your grocer or your farmer's market or your restaurant or your, your wherever you get your food from, and then it lands on your plate, right? So all of those processes take resources and energy. When we grow our food, that takes water, it takes land use, um, that has an impact on the environment. Some of the chemical inputs that are used in the agricultural sector, whether that's fertilizer, herbicides, pesticides, that has an impact on the environment. The transportation to get from California to New York City to bring you um, bananas or grapes or whatever the case may be, that has a carbon footprint. And then even the processing and the packaging, whether that is the energy and resources it takes to to make a, a, a a wheat berry into a Pop-Tart or to package that Pop-Tart with plastics and and other uh, kinds of resources, that all takes energy and resources, all of which have an impact on our environment. So it is much, much bigger than I think most people actually realize. Yes, because it seems so simple. It seems like you just go to the store and you just get it. It's just there. And I think the pandemic really highlighted for a lot of us how complex the system is and how many factors have to go into it when suddenly some of us found ourselves in a situation we had never been in our whole lives, which is scarcity, right? Like Mm. some people have never experienced food scarcity in their entire lives. Unfortunately, many people have. But when you go to the store and it just isn't there and it can't be there because we depend on all of these factors to get it there, then you realize, wow, there is a lot that goes into bringing food 
to my table every day. Yes. So, I mean, and those supply chains all got broken, right? Or yes. a, a lot of them did. And that was that broke open really the dysfunction of our food system and also the disproportionate impact that that has on communities of color, which was yes. really clear um, if it wasn't clear already. So that, that was a, a real learning experience, I, I hope, for many people and something that I hope will change. Absolutely. Well, the one thing that I was both happy and frustrated about is that all the beans were gone. <laughs> so it's like, usually Yay. I have my pick oh. of whatever beans I want yes. and there were no beans. And I, I found myself having these thoughts. Well, like, I hope that all the people that are hoarding these beans are actually eating these beans because I, I would be eating these beans if I had them. <laughs> so hopefully this made more people realize how valuable beans can be in lots of different situations. That is such a silver lining to that issue. I love it. You're, you're, you're feeling the deficit of beans in your your life and being mad at the food supply, but like, hallelujah, people are finding creative ways to get those legumes into their yes, diet. Fantastic. Yes. All right. Well, let's break it down a little further. What are the big food players in environmental sustainability? And yeah. can you kind of help simplify it a little bit? I know it's complex and it's not black it and is. white, but yeah. what are the foods that are clearly unsustainable at the levels that we're consuming them and which foods are more sustainable? How can we start thinking about this in a way that we can make an effect? Okay. So the biggest, the biggest culprit in our environmental issues as it relates to our food and our food supply um, is animal agriculture, specifically industrial animal agriculture. Um, that is responsible for 15% of our greenhouse gases. Let me say that again. That is responsible for 15% of our greenhouse gases, which is actually more than our entire transportation sector combined, okay? So that is huge. And the reason for this, because it's not just simple as cow burps or cow pa cows passing gas, it goes way beyond that. It is about deforestation and land use, right? We are taking away huge ecosystems to plant food for the cows and other animals to eat, um, as opposed to planting those foods for us to eat. That destroys huge ecosystems. It takes away land and it takes away the trees, which are great carbon sequesters, meaning they take carbon out of the atmosphere and they bring it back into the soil where it belongs so that we don't have a greenhouse gas emission issue. The other thing, number two, as it relates to animal agriculture, is the way those crops are grown. So these cows are eating corn feed and soy, and the way those crops are, are grown is a very, very unsustainable way, using lots of fertilizer, which has a huge disruptive effect on the soil, and as well as using lots of pesticides and herbicides, which um, can actually go into runoff um, into water supplies and soil supplies, which can have an impact on health as well as the environment. And then, of course, there are the, the cow burps, the cow farts, um, which produce methane gas, tons and tons of fabulous methane gas, which is a very, very potent uh, greenhouse gas uh, as well, which has a huge negative impact on our environment. And then lastly, a lot of these cows and hogs and animals need to poop, right? Everybody poops. The cows are pooping too. And they create these huge manure lagoons, essentially, which have a terrifically horrible impact on the environment. But not only that, they are polluting the air with that stench and they are polluting waterways and they are affecting the communities who live right nearby. Very often those are communities of color, low income communities. Um, and they are being, again, very negatively impacted. They have higher levels of asthma. Um, and so all of these uh, these factors we have to look at as it relates to how we're producing animals affecting 
the environment as well as affecting human health. So it's a it's a big, big issue. Yes. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize because they've never seen any of these operations. Yeah, I, I think we think about these idyllic little farms with these cows on these rolling hills and you know right. but that's just not how it is and i live in central washington and mm -hmm. right next to me is the biggest concentration of feedlots in the world i think really? so yeah and so really it's really really close to me and so actually today uh, my son has a cross country meet, which I will be driving through those communities. And with mm. the windows closed, mm. you're, you get attacked. Your senses get attacked by yes. the smell. It's overwhelming. It's ammonia. It's that yeah, ammonia. it's really, really strong. And Terrible. so just imagine if you're working there, so the workers that work there, or if you live mm -hmm. right next to it, you have to deal with that every single day. And it has been known to have health effects. So I think it's very important to point out that what you're talking about is not these like dreamy, romantic little farms. This is like huge operations. This is like yeah. a really big deal, like hundreds and hundreds, thousands of cows, thousands of cows. We're talking 30,000 cows in one area yes. who are being uh, concentrated. And, you know, and if we're talking about the lives of those animals, that for me is part of sustainability, right? When we're, when I say the word sustainability, I'm not just thinking about the environment. I'm thinking about human health. I'm thinking about, um, the, the humaneness with which, um, animals are, 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 are treated or raised. I'm thinking about equity. I'm thinking about cultural and socioeconomic factors. I mean, there's so much to the word sustainability and environmentalism that, that goes way beyond just a tree yes. <laughs> or a flower. Yeah. Oh, I love how you bring that like so holistically to think about it. Okay. So mm. if we know that this industrial animal agriculture is definitely not the way to go with sustainability, then what mm -hmm. are some avenues for sustainability? What are some of the foods or ways of growing food maybe? Like what are some of the ways that we can do it more sustainably? I'm so glad you asked. Yes. <laughs> because it's all about solutions, right? Doesn't it? It feels it feels good to identify the issue. But it makes everyone feel a little heavy hearted. I had some students oh, yeah. I was teaching and they were like, Mary, I'm depressed after this yeah. class. And I'm like, all right, I got solutions. So basically having a plant-based diet, right? Having Growing more plants is going to be one of the more sustainable ways that we as a country, as a, as a global community can help reduce some of the environmental effects, effects of, our, of, our, of our food system. So we're talking about plants produce, um, beans, legumes, all of these use far fewer resources. Again, water, less water, less energy, less land space, and fewer inputs. So um, there's just isn't as much of a, of a necessity to use all the things that we would use when we're uh, gr uh, growing, I'm saying growing animals, but I would say raising animals. Mm -hmm. So this is where uh, growing plants like uh, beans, like even something, you know what, I love, I love um, pointing out uh, the, the benefits of squash. I don't know if you have some squash lovers out there. I'm a personal squash lover myself here. But um, squash is a fantastically sustainable food because, listen to this, not only does it have all kinds of wonderful health benefits, but the way that it's growing, it, it grows on the, on the ground, right? So it's actually um, helping to uh, shade. It provides a little bit of shade for uh, the, 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 the soil, so it's protecting the soil. It has little... Um, 
what do they call little like hairs on the actual stalks of the yes. of the of the of the squash so that actually acts as a natural pesticide right mm. and then the leaves of the squash act as a mulch which means it kind of breaks down into almost like a compost like uh, form and helps to feed the soil helps to feed the microbiome all those wonderful bacteria in the soil so that is the type of of planting, that is the type of, of communing with uh, the, the natural environment as a, as a crop that actually benefits the environment, that benefits that ecosystem, that benefits the soil. And as you mentioned, Dr. Yami, it is also not just about the food, it is about the way that food is grown mm -hmm. and harvested. So more organically grown food doesn't have to be labeled organic specifically to have been grown in a way that is uh, organic or regenerative, right? Building the soil, not disrupting the soil with lots of tilling and machinery, uh, using fewer pesticides, using fewer herbicides, using compost as well to help build that soil. So it is about not just the food that's being grown, but how that food is grown or what is not used in the production of that food that is detrimental to our environment and ultimately to our health. Yes, oh, that sounds so amazing the way that you describe it. And now I definitely want to go eat more squash. But I also feel like <laughs> squash is like, you know, I've only had a garden once in my life. We're going to do it again this year. Uh -huh. So finally, I have built up the courage and the time and energy to try again. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Now for a very important message. Hey veggie lover, if you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. DrYami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. I feel like squash can be so easy to grow and it just goes crazy. It just proliferates and you have all of this food that you can share with your neighbors. So what a great use of resources, you know? So I love yeah. that you brought that up. And, you know, I, I think also back to like uh, in, uh, our, our indigenous brothers and sisters who used um, uh, the crops, beans and squash and corn all together, mm -hmm. right? called the three mm -hmm. sisters, right? Three sisters. I, bet you've, mm -hmm. I bet you're familiar with the three sisters yes. chili. Mm -hmm. huh? And so those three crops work in a symbiotic relationship. So that the stalks of the, of the corn are allowing a place for the beans to grow. And the beans are bringing uh, nitrogen into the soil, which acts as a natural fertilizer. Another great reason to eat more plant-based foods because beans act as a soil builder. They actually help to take nitrogen 
out of the atmosphere where we do not want that nitrogen and bring it into the soil where it actually helps to um, to create fertile, uh, for, uh, more fertile soil, interacting with the the bacteria of that soil. And then, as I mentioned, the squash is providing shade and uh, natural anti-pesticides. So it's just this wonderful relationship, these three sisters. I love imagining that. And, and also helping to advocate for practices that many people have been engaged in for centuries, right? Many, many BIPOC farmers have been engaged in these kinds of practices and are currently engaged in these practices. And we need to elevate them and amplify what they're doing and bring them back yes. into the, the mix yes. of agriculture. Some of this wisdom that has been passed down for generations, yes. but we just put it aside because it's not the modern way, you know, it's not the way of growing these like gigantic farms full of things, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, that's such a great point. So basically what you're saying is more plants is better. And of course, using less pesticides and growing, mm -hmm. you know, these these uh, plants symbiotically together. I also love how you talk about how the plants themselves are feeding the microbiome of the soil. And yes. I, I love thinking about how they also feed our microbiome in our gut, you know, yes. what a great, like they're just so good in so many different ways. They, they have, so, there's so much to, to elevate about them and, and to celebrate. Yes. Especially the beans, you know, cause I'm a bean. The pusher. beans. I know we love but, the beans. Um, <laughs> what can we do as consumers? So can you give us some practical tips? So not everybody's ready yet to grow their own food or, yeah. and then there's some people that don't even have farmer's markets. Like my farmer's markets only opens, you know, a few months of the year. Mm -hmm. So what can we do as consumers to move more towards environmental sustainability? Great question, because I think everyone wants to feel like they can take part in this, and not everybody has that access or privilege to do so. So I, I definitely respect and honor that. And one thing that I want to make really clear is that I want to take away the burden from the consumer and make sure that we are also putting that on agribusinesses and corporations yes. and mm -hmm. people in the USDA and people who are working in the agricultural sector because the, the, the onus should not be on the consumer, especially the consumers who don't have access to a farmer's market, right? Who, who, who live in food deserts or food swamps. Um, so the, there's that component of, there's a bigger picture that needs to be changed. And, and, and that can come from policy and uh, and 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 contacting our our representatives, which anyone can do. That's that's an easy 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 shift to, to make. When it comes to actual choices or actions that we can take as consumers, interacting with our food system, right? And and remember that change is driven by consumer demand. So now you've got the knowledge. Knowledge gives you power. So. You can use your power as a consumer to demand things. It can be anywhere and anything. It can be at your grocery store. Are there more beans here? Is there more fresh produce? Uh, the more people start asking that, the more of that demand is going to translate into action on the part of the people who are providing the food. Um, mm -hmm. It can even be when you go to a restaurant, do you have a vegetarian option? Um, when you are at an event, hey, is there, are, are there any more vegetables available? Um, is there any fresh produce? Just asking, just being a, 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 you know, a, an advocate for making some different choices can be helpful. If you do have access to a farmer's market, 
Go to that farmer's market. If you do have access to a community garden, and there are so many community gardens that are starting to pop up in urban settings. So you can actually, there's a great website for looking for community gardens. Gardens. I cannot remember what it is, but I'll send it to you. Um, so people can actually look up. There might be something very locally in in their neighborhood, even in the in the in the most strange places where you wouldn't expect a pea patch to be in someone's backyard or in someone on the street corner in front of a bus stop or something. So um, those are some things that 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 folks can do. But but yes, for sure, if you are able to begin to transition uh, away from a more meat-based diet to a more plant-based diet, and to also inquire about where your food is coming from, those kinds of conversations are a great place to start. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like I'm the kind of person that I get really intimidated about like the big, big picture, like policy change. And like, it just feels like to me so overwhelming, like how can one person really make a difference? But you're right in that the first thing we can do is just speak up. I have a really funny story. This is yeah, like, please. I don't know why this ha- even happened because to me it's hilarious. Uh-huh. But there's this really popular restaurant here in Yakima and I had been working with them to try to get more plant-based options. And I knew that you. they had a veggie burger available, uh-huh. but they didn't list it on the menu. Uh-huh. And so I asked, I asked the manager, I was like, why don't you have it on the menu? And he told me it's because people don't ask for it. And I said, well, how oh can they ask goodness. for it if it's not on the menu? <laughs> it was like, I was like, how, like, it was like weirdest, like logic ever. And right. so after I talked to him about it, then it's on the menu now. But I had to kind of point out that people don't know how to, like, I'm a bold person. So I just ask for things, but the majority of people aren't, especially when they're with other people, they may be intimidated. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to seem weird. So I said, you know, a lot of people aren't going to ask for it if it's not on there. And Good so for then you, you put for... it on there. And so well, little things like that, like all of us, the the bold ones that are willing to speak up about things like that, we have to know that it can benefit other people when we do those things. Yes. And thank you for being one of those people who's bold enough to speak up. And I know that's not everyone's style. So uh, I want to honor where people are with that. But I have a similar story, which is that... Um, I didn't speak up at the restaurant, but I went on to Yelp and I wrote a review and I've done this for several restaurants. But for me, what it's about is staying positive, staying as positive as possible. So it's not about abusing a restaurant. It's not about belittling. It's not about insulting. It's about saying, I had such a wonderful time. The, the, The waiter was great or the service was great. I can't wait till they start getting in more plant-based options. I was really jonesing for uh, a vegetarian burger and they didn't have anything. Or the only thing they had was pasta, which drives me crazy. Um, So even yelping about it or even commenting on social media, I'm a big fan of commenting on social media in a way that's really upbeat and positive, where Mm -hmm. I'll say something like, you know, someone will, 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 promote something and I'll say, oh, this looks so great. What fun. I I sure wish they had more vegetarian options or wow, don't those beans look amazing. Beans are so incredible for the environment. So for me, it's not just about going, "Mm, why aren't you doing this? And But to say, hey, I've got this great idea. I'm super passionate about this. And I thought this could be kind of fun. So bringing that uh, angle into it, I think has been really beneficial. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just such a good way of thinking about anything in life, right? Like our hearts are more open to positivity and we get very defensive when people come at us in an aggressive way. So I've learned that lesson. 
Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I said I'm a my... bold person, but I think, <laughs> and the same thing goes to when moms get upset about the school food or things like that. It's like, we also have to be empathetic and understand that each system is under their own pressures. And in mm-hmm. general, I think people are trying to do good and trying to do the best they can. So whenever we go in with an open heart and positivity, I feel like we're going to be able to affect better change than when we go in kind of making people feel bad about themselves or trying to shame them about their choices, you know? That's, and that's as a, as a experienced dietitian working with people, trying to help people change their diet, I, I can tell you for sure that um, shaming anyone about the way they're eating does nothing but make them feel worse. So how do we empower people to make different choices? Or, you know, you mentioned moms um, having that power in their communities. And I think that local component of it is how can it just be about your next door neighbor and inviting Mm. your next door neighbor over for a plant-based meal when we can all gather again or bringing your neighbor uh, a, a soup that you've made it that's plant, that that you've made that's plant based. I mean, that localness. I think you know, local becomes global eventually yes. if we all take part in it. So, one one change, one shift, one conversation can make a difference. Absolutely. Oh, I've seen that over and over, and it creates a ripple effect. You it know. Does. Um. So yeah, it's it. so powerful. It's so mm. powerful. But speaking of changing our diets and our food choices, does someone have to be vegan or completely plant-based in order to, their, to do their part in environmental sustainability? I'm so glad you asked that because I think that's where a lot of people get stuck, right? They think, oh no, I have to be vegan. I, I have to give up my bacon or like, oh, my mom's chicken recipe, oh. And, and it doesn't have to be an all or nothing effort, right? And and that that takes that pressure off for people who are like, oh, I'll never be vegan. I can't be vegan. I'm like, you don't have to be vegan. Yeah. Studies have shown that even just cutting meat by 50%, right? Just having the, uh, the, the amount of meat that people are eating can reduce greenhouse gases um, by up to 40% um, wow. or can, it's the same. I think there's some statistic like if you reduce meat by about half or somewhere around that line, um, that it's the same as taking a million cars off the road over the next 10 years. And that's Whoa. a little bit hard to understand what that actually means, but uh, it doesn't have to be 100%. So even just starting with a meatless Monday for some individuals is the way to go. You know, one meal a day, one meal a week, uh, wherever people are ready to begin, or maybe they're vegan already and they're like, I'm going to take it to the next level. I'm going to eat corn, beans, and squash every day. <laughs> um, so yeah, meeting people where they're at, I think, is key. Yeah, I think that this is so important because I agree that there's so many people that feel like if they can't go 100%, then they're, they just can't do anything. Like they're exactly. just stuck and I'm not going to make any changes where it, that's just not true. And coming from the health, well-being and longevity perspective, which mm-hmm. is something I'm very passionate about, it's not true either, you no. know? Um, so I, I think anything that we can do to focus on eating more plants and less animals is going to be helpful and it doesn't have to be 100%. And we know that from so many different perspectives. Yeah. And, and I think of it as, as adding in as opposed to taking away. I think when mm-hmm. we start saying, hey, let's see if we can get more greens in as opposed to, hey, let's stop having you eat those chips. No, let's just, yes. let's not think it because gradually the foods that start to make people feel well and more energized are the foods that they naturally start to crave, right? So yes. people make the changes 
in an organic way because they just feel better. I've had people go, Mary, I don't know what's going on, but I'm starting to crave broccoli. I'm starting to crave sweet potatoes. Like, what the hell is going on? What's wrong with me? (laughs) What's wrong with me? I'm like, that is what is supposed to happen. That is what happens naturally. The body loves what makes it feel best. And sometimes we just forget to tune into that. And um, so, yeah, so adding in. And I think that naturally happens when we let go of this restriction mentality that it has Mm. to be all or nothing, you know? Like whenever we, we start neutralizing and then just trusting our bodies and trying new things and and seeing how it feels, it's just a natural process that we start choosing foods that support our well-being because naturally we want to feel good. You know, humans want to feel so good. We true. don't want to feel bad. We you love know? feeling good. Who wants to feel bad, right? Yeah. And so, and sometimes those foods, which people maybe normally would associate with being comfort foods, with being the food that's the bad food, um, and I'd really try and take away those words, good and bad, or, as it relates to food. But what I have also found, both within myself, but with almost all of my patients who I've seen over a long period of time, is that they just stop craving those foods um, as mm-hmm. as much, or they find higher quality versions of those foods. So they're eating like a really good chocolate or making a cookie that still has a cookie flavor to it, but it's got uh, some healthier ingredients in there. And that is still as satisfying. So there's so many different shifts you, you can make very easily. Yeah, I can totally identify with the chocolate thing because yes, I used to feel like I was addicted to like Halloween candy and then I couldn't have it around or I was going to eat all of it. And uh-huh. I had this mentality, you know, that it was like a bad food and that's why I just kept eating it and binging on mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And then when I allowed it to be and I realized it actually doesn't taste that good to me. And so now I'm like a total snob when it comes <laughs> to like, I only like a certain type. Otherwise, I don't even want it. Like I like it's not a problem. It, it, it can have a whole pile there. And I don't want it because I'm like, eh, that doesn't actually taste that good to me. And I that's can... allowing, you know, when you allow yourself to really tune into your body. I couldn't agree more. And I'm also a big, I eat chocolate probably every day. Um, but I eat the 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 kind that uh, is a little bit more high quality. And I also can't actually eat the other stuff anymore. I mean, I used to love Snickers, right? When I was a kid and even in my twenties, I loved Snickers. And now when I eat a Snickers, it just, it doesn't taste right to me. It doesn't mm-hmm. taste like real food. So, um, you know, your, our palates shift the same way with transitioning off of meat, which people often feel like they've got to have meat at every meal in order for that meal to feel, um, satiating. And sometimes it's just about changing how your how your your meals are set up so that you actually find lots of other ways to feel satiated or maybe have the meat uh, as a flavor agent maybe have a yes. a little touch of bacon in there so you still get that mm-hmm. smokiness but it's not the entire uh, plate yeah most using it as a condiment but yeah. no I agree that neuroadaptation it's real it really mm-hmm. does happen mm-hmm. and that first step is allowing is and like you said focusing on what to add in what to be curious about what to explore rather mm. than trying to perseverate on I'm not going to ever have these other foods again sort of thing. right so that never works we know that backfires so let's shift a little bit into talking about waste. So what things can we do to decrease waste in our kitchens? Because this is a big area where we can produce a lot of waste very quickly. So what mm-hmm. tips do you have for us there? Yeah, the 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 issue with food waste is, is very concerning as well. Um, about 8% of our greenhouse gases uh, comes from the food that we're wasting. And we are wasting, oh, Dr. Yami, it breaks my heart, but we're wasting about 1,200 calories per person. So about 30 Whoa. and sometimes up to 40% of the food that's being produced is lost or wasted. And 
That is huge. That is a huge amount of food. That's that's someone's diet. 1,200 calories, that's what yeah. someone might eat during the course yeah. of a day. So so in terms of waste in the kitchen, you know, it, it does start even before that, before it even gets to the kitchen. It can sometimes be about what the person's buying. So buying less, buying things that you will actually eat and use. And remember that you have in your refrigerator before it starts uh, turning a different color. So it starts at the grocery store. And it's not just about buying less. It might be about inviting some funny looking food and produce into your life and not being afraid of that eggplant that's got like an extra nose or the carrot that has three arms and, and is holding on to another carrot for dear life. Um, <laughs> so that ugly that ugly produce, which some people love that name, some people don't like it, but misfit, misfit produce as well. So because those don't get sold, right? Very often, those are the foods where someone who maybe is a little bit more of a, of a food snob might go, well, I don't. I don't want that apple with a dent in it. And manufacturers can't sell that. So we can seek out as consumers the funny looking food and bring it into our homes. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to actually um, engaging with that food in the kitchen, you know, when you're cooking, it can be great to just open the refrigerator and either you've got a chart on your fridge that reminds you, oh, there's half of an onion in the back of the refrigerator. Make sure you add that to your next soup. But I will periodically go into my refrigerator. I actually just did this the other night where I thought like, gosh, I don't know what we have left. I had some tofu and I was like, I got the tofu. I'm making a tofu stir fry. What do I have? What's, what's going to be the stir fry part of it? And I went into the refrigerator and I found broccoli stalks, which I know are one of the things that get thrown out the most yep. in the vegetable world. I found kale stalks and chard stalks. I chopped those babies up into teeny tiny little bits and I found leeks and I found cilantro that was starting to turn brown. And I chopped all those babies up uh, put them in the in the stir fry. Had some you know some delicious soy sauce and some onions, and it was great. You know, and I basically saved all of that food from starting to rot and go to waste. Yeah. So those are some creative ways that you, people can start being less afraid of the of the droopiness in their in their refrigerator and invite into a, a big cauldron of soup. Yes. Yeah. Stir fries and soups. I feel like I have become a master of really? using what's in my fridge. Like I didn't used to be like this and I felt so bad all the time. Like I had this like deep guilt, but now I'm just really good at it because I do that a couple of nights per week. It's kind of like clean out uh, night mm. where we either eat leftovers if everything's already been cooked up or uh -huh. I just go through and I find it so fun. Like it's this challenge like, okay, I've got this and this and this, what can I make with yes. it? And just being less afraid of vegetables that are turning a little bit, just like you said, you know, if they're turning mm -hmm. a little bit, you're like, Ooh, that's going to be gross. But if you put it in a stir fry or a soup, it's fine. Absolutely. And I'm just thinking of you using those stalks of everything. And the first thing I think of is nutrient density. Like, Oh my yes. God, the fiber and the antioxidants. So wow. True. Your gut bugs were like partying that night, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> they were singing hallelujah. They were and, so happy. <laughs> and I think, you know, the, the, a lot of people can also compost their food. Not everyone has access to a compost, but that is another way that you can salvage food. And um, luckily here in Seattle, where I live, we do have a composting system, which I'm so grateful for. And I've also had the experience of taking some of the leftover food that I have and being able to bring them to people who I know who are raising chickens or raising other animals. And that food actually becomes food for them. Um, and the thing about composting, because I think a lot of people rely on that, like, well, no big deal. I can compost, whatever, you know, I'm saving the earth. And the thing that we have to realize as fabulous as composting is, is that there was still the food that got produced before it got composted. 
And all of that yes. took energy and resources. So if we're throwing away 1,200 calories, even if we are composting part of that food, there was still a lot of effort and um, resources that went into the original production of that food as well that we have to consider. Yes. So doing the best we can to yeah. utilize the resources that we're purchasing, buy less if we need to, be a little bit more mindful, plan a little bit more if that helps you too. Uh -huh. But, you know, Ooh. just like being mindful of that journey. Mm -hmm. And one more point, Dr. Yami, too, which I think a lot of people don't realize is there are labels on foods, right? Which will say Best Buy. And yes. people see Best Buy and they're like, oh, March 14th. It's March 15th. I'm going to throw this food away. No, 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 no. So Best Buy is simply a label that the manufacturer of that food has decided that that food will taste the best by that date. There's nothing dictating that, that there's no, you know, regulating agency that's saying, oh, don't eat that food afterwards. You might get E. coli or something. Mm -hmm. It's just a decision by the manufacturer of that food. So you can still eat a food and you've got a schnoz on, you've got a nose that can tell you, hey, this food isn't right. I think I'm going to not maybe eat this. But yes. um, most food that says best by that date, you can eat it several days or maybe even a week afterwards. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's an important thing to bring up. Thank you so much. So for those that are just getting started, maybe this is the first time they have heard that their food has an impact on the environment, what they choose to eat. Where can they start? What are some simple places to start? And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. It can be overwhelming, can it? Um, I think the way that I like to advise people around this and also just making changes with your diet is start by getting curious. Start by listening, by having conversations, by looking at the next thing that you eat and going, 
where did this come from? I wonder what the journey was for this potato. Um, where did it come from? Who harvested it? Who transported it? Who made it? Uh, and, and what am I doing with it? How am I interacting with it? So I think even just starting there, if someone's really at the beginning stages of understanding the relationship between the environment and what's, uh, what we're eating, that can be an easy place to, to begin. Um, mm-hmm. Other thing too is just to talk to the grocery store owner, to talk to the people who are serving you food. If you do have access to a place like a farmer's market, talk to your farmer. Find out what they are feeding um, their, their animals if they are producing animals. Find out what, how they are producing their food and if they're using chemicals. Um, listen to podcasts like this, right? Um, there's a great, uh, great source of information called foodprint.org, which really breaks down issues around the food system in a very, very accessible way. So I, I highly recommend that website, foodprint.org. So those are some thoughts. It's just, if you're really looking to get started, just start with exploration and curiosity. I love that. Just be curious and have conversations. Don't don't feel intimidated about just opening up the conversations with food growers, food servers, everybody that that is involved in the food system in your community. I think those are such great tips. Thank you for that. Yeah. What would be your wildest dream come true for our world? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I, I, this is, this is a tough one for me because I got a lot of dreams, Dr. Yami. I got a lot of dreams. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) How do I choose the one? Um, I, I think one of the things that I feel like, I hope this doesn't sound cheesy, but I, I find it has been really helpful for me is I wish that everybody would practice more kindness. Um, to their families, to their communities, to um, their friends, to people who are different from them, and to themselves. Mm -hmm. And what that looks like is probably different for every single person. But I feel like if we just had kindness tattooed on our hearts and brains all the time, the world would be such a different place. Um, Yes. You know, I just feel like we are riddled with a lack of compassion and kindness right now where people are not looking out for their their fellow human. Um, and I think that is causing the dysbiotic relationship <laughs> yes. of, of humans on this planet. So, yeah, that would be and, one of them. Uh, that's such a good point because I do feel that a lot of people that are unkind to others, they're probably even more unkind to themselves because can you imagine like there's things that we say to ourselves that we would never say to other people because like there's no way so can you imagine if there's people that are so unkind to other people what their internal dialogue is so Mm -hmm. i almost feel like that kindness has to start with the self you know before we can project it out into others i think people who are unkind are very often suffering. Yes. Right? So when we interact with people who are unkind, I think our initial reaction, I know I do this, where I'm like, oh, I can't believe that person was so nasty. Like, hmm, what an attitude. When what I want to be doing more of is I, I feel um, a sense of understanding and compassion for that person. There's something that they're going through that yes. is causing them to behave in that way. And yeah, yes. kindness to oneself is key. And I think that's a practice that we can get into because it is human that our first reaction is going to be of defense, right? Mm -hmm. Like, 
you are harming me with your with your emotions with your words potentially so i'm just like ugh uh, yeah. But really, if we have that compassion to know that they're probably in a lot of pain, mm -hmm. it softens our heart and yeah. stops the cycle because one unkindness can lead to several unkindness, right? Whenever we get defensive, we get mad, then we pass it on to somebody else. And instead we can stop that there with compassion, block it with love. Yes. And then just yes. have love keep going forward. <laughs> I love it. What do you wish more people knew? I think I wish that people knew that diets don't have to be 100% one way or the other and that not every single diet is right for every single person, right? So I have mm -hmm. so many people who have come to me going, well, why is that working for that person? Or should I eat soy? Should I not eat soy? Should I eat this? Should I not eat that? And the fact is there's no right answer for every single person. It is mm -hmm. about discovering what is right for you and whether that has to do with being plant-based, um, with adopting a certain eating pattern, with connecting to your food um, from an environmental perspective. It's not going to be the same advice for everybody. So people yes. need to stop thinking that they have to eat a certain way or have to engage in their dietary patterns in a certain way because we're all in that phase of exploration and understanding what works well for each single person. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's a journey because it, it's a, journey. a dynamic process. You know, it changes over time. It changes with the seasons. It changes with the phase of life that you're in. And yes. that's okay. Yeah. I think as humans, we want so much permanence and we want so much assurance. <laughs> like that uncertainty sometimes can be just a little bit uncomfortable. But I think just Agreed. softening to the idea that change happens and it's okay. And also honoring our internal wisdom. Each each one of us has that wisdom to be able to tune in and to figure out what is serving us and not mm -hmm. serving us rather than relying on these external measures that say it should serve you or not, you know? So true. Tapping into what whether people call it wisdom or intuition or um, sensibility, whatever it is that is, is feeding your ability to uh, comprehend and ascertain what works well for your body, for your mind, for your overall health and well-being. Um, that is something that no one can really tell you 100% except yourself. Absolutely. I love it. Well, tell me what personal habit you are most proud of and why. <laughs> well, even though I'm a dietitian nutritionist, and you might think that food, food, food is always the top of mind for me, which it is. I will tell you that ever since I was a very young child. It was on my kindergarten report, okay? But I love it. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. My kindergarten teacher said to my mom in a kindergarten report, food is very important to Mary. If she doesn't have a good lunch, it ruins her whole day. So just tell you that's this has been going on for a long time. But that aside... Um, Sleeping for me is one of the most important health habits that I try to stick with as much as I can. Um, I feel like you could have the most perfect quote unquote diet, but if you're not sleeping, it means nada. It doesn't, mm. doesn't work. So um, I'm not saying I'm a good sleeper. I work really hard to sleep fairly adequately, but I have a routine. I get off my computer. I am in bed upstairs. I go to bed almost the same time every single night. 
Um, and I really honor that time, that eight hours where I need to be still, I need to honor my body's repair system um, and restorative time. So for me, my sleeping, even though I'm not necessarily sleeping extremely well every single night, I make a huge effort to do everything I can to ensure that I, that I do. Oh, I am with you 100%. I think so many of us do neglect that sleep and it's so important to our well-being. What have been some of the things that you feel have been game changers for you when it comes to getting adequate sleep? Getting off the computer. I make it a point to get off the computer. I, I go to bed at 10 every single night or I go to sleep at 10 o'clock every single night. So I get off any kind of computer or screen by seven and at the very, very latest, uh, latest eight o'clock. That's, and that's uh, mm. unusual. So um, that for me has been huge. Um, it's just not exposing myself to screens or bright, bright lights um, mm-hmm. throughout the, the evening. I start turning lights low. I start having more calming rituals, whether that's just me brushing my teeth, washing my face, putting some lotion on my feet. (laughs) I'm a big fan of shea butter. I'm a big fan of essential oils. Um, So those have been those rituals, which basically, again, if we're talking about neural connections, the more rituals that we have that we're doing consistently, the more our brain gets the message, oh, it's that thing that's happening again. I better get some melatonin going and I better start my wind down so that the body goes into that rest uh, and digest uh, parasympathetic nervous Uh, system mode, which is where we calm ourselves down. So yes, those nightly rituals. How about you? I love it. Well, I was going to say something that a lot of people don't know because you mentioned how important getting off screens is to you Mm. is, I don't know if you've heard of the book called The Circadian Code. I think it's by Sachin Patel. It's really good. So if you're into sleep, I would recommend that book. But they did a study on so-called night owls. You know how there's people that say, oh, I'm a night owl. I just, Mm -hmm. that's when I'm awake. That's when I'm stimulated. Uh Uh-huh. Well, what they found is that night owls, it's not that they're naturally more awake at night. It's that they're more sensitive to blue light. Interesting. So they took these night owls and they put them out in the forest where there was no light pollution. And guess what happened? They started getting sleepy at the same time everybody else got sleepy. (laughs) And so what it means for these people is that they're just more sensitive. So for them, these so-called night owls, it's even more important that they get off screens in a timely manner because otherwise they are going to feel wide awake. Like they're supposed to be awake. Oh, this is natural. This is how my body works. But we live in an artificial environment that has so much light. How would you know? And so that's something that I tell my patients a lot because teenagers, we know they they do naturally have shifts in their sleep patterns, Mm -hmm. but they also, you know, make it worse by these screens. So... And people Something sleep with their phone right next to their bed. And then when they wake up in the middle of the night, the first thing people do sometimes is they're checking their email in the middle yes. of the night or checking a, a tweet or a, a, a post that they put up. So that further exacerbates that issue and yes. reduces the production of melatonin. So Absolutely. And for those people that are ultra sensitive to that, it can be just like, it can kill their sleep, you know, because they're like, bing, <laughs> you know, yeah. awake. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that habit with us. I think it's so important. Of course. Well, Mary, this has been so fabulous. It's such a pleasure talking with you. And I know that we could probably talk for hours and hours more, but we have to bring this to an end. Uh, So please let us know how we can connect with you, what products and services you offer. Tell us where to find you. 
Thank you. Yeah, I am. Uh, my website is www.marypurdy.com co and that's dot co not dot com you'll find a reiki practitioner at dot com that's not me um, <laughs> and then i also have a podcast uh, called uh, the nutrition show which you can find also on my website but also in all the places you find your podcast stitcher itunes and i do a lot of speaking and talking and education uh, so i'm always available for that as well as consulting if you are working in the environmental space and need a dietitian expert who also has a keen understanding of sustainable food systems i am your gal or I love it. Oh, I'm so grateful that you do this work. And yeah, it's like I said, it's such a pleasure. So I'm sure whenever you do your your public speaking, people are just just enthralled with everything that you have to say. Well, how kind of you. And I just want to thank you. I, I feel like, you know, we are soul sisters. We have so much in common and so many similar philosophies. And I thank you for your boldness. I thank you for all you're doing to help bring health and wellness and holistic healing to all the people that you are interacting with. So I just want to thank you so much for the work Aww. you're doing and the word you're spreading and, and for being a great host. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure and I wouldn't have it any other way because it's my passion. So as you know, this gives us life as well, right? (laughs) Indeed. Well, the last thing I'm going to ask you is to leave us with one call to action. So what is one thing that we can do this week to improve our lives? I would say connect with your food. Um, That can be at one meal, all meals, Whatever it is that works for you for the time of day where you can take a moment, think about where your food came from, maybe offer some gratitude for that food, because ultimately connecting with our food connects us with so much more. It connects Mm -hmm. us with the people who grew our food, the people who harvested our food, the people who cooked our food or made our food. It connects us with our culture. It connects us with our community. And lastly, it connects us with ourselves. Mm. So even just beginning to connect with what is in front of you on a regular basis, doesn't have to be every meal, but um, that can be a great first step in just beginning on this journey of, uh, of exploration. Oh, such a perfect place to end this wonderful conversation. Mary Purdy, thank you so much for joining me on Veggie Doctor Radio today. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. I will have a plantastic day. That's every day for me is a plantastic day. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.